This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays, 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. So as mentioned, much more still to come uh, regarding the NEB decision today on the Trans Mountain Pipeline project. We've got a lot of other issues uh, to cover today as well. So busy shows still to get to. I wanted to revisit this story and the story around uh, liberal MP Kent Hare. And, and accusations of sexual harassment that were leveled against him and a third-party investigation that took place. What did that investigation find? We have some idea of, of kind of the, the broad strokes of, of those findings in that uh, Kent Hare remains a, a liberal MP and, and is seeking re-election. Uh, but beyond that, there, there's still a lot of secrecy. The law firm uh, Ruben Tomlinson, LLP, was conducted to, to review Hare's conduct. Uh, but the prime minister's office has said that those findings are not made public due to privacy considerations and to protect the integrity of the process. Well, what does that mean? And I mean, on the privacy side, are we trying to protect the victims here? We're we trying to protect the women here because they're certainly interested in having a better understanding of all of this and what was found and what that report says. So joining us to talk about uh, all of this is uh, Kristen Rayworth, who is uh, Alberta civil servant uh, working out of Edmonton, one of the uh, two women who first came forward just over a year ago, uh, bringing forward these accusations. Kristen, really good to talk to you here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, so it's been um, been just over a year, right, since you first came forward? Yeah, yeah, a little over a year now, yeah. yeah. Obviously, it was a difficult decision for you at the time, and I'm sure it's been at, at times a difficult process, but th- does it feel, looking back, that, that it was all worth it, in your view? I mean, I think yes and no. Yes, in the sense that it, it I think, has enabled other people to come forward and come forward with their experiences and their stories about sexual harassment in politics. I think we're having a much broader conversation about this issue now, which is really important. But I think no, in the sense that we have not seen, either on the provincial or the federal level, any real substantive change on this issue in terms of even just standardized sexual harassment policies for political parties. Mm-hmm. So it, to me, that those are the changes that we need to see and more transparency on these issues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we talk a lot about trying to make it safer, trying to make it more accommodating for, for women to come forward and, and share these stories. But it, it's, it's a very difficult process. And, and I mean, you can obviously attest to that. Yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely is difficult. It's, of course, made more difficult when it's done in such transparency, in such lack of transparency. And so... Um, quieted and hushed, hushed. And really for me, you know, I did uh, my interview with the, invest- in the investigator and then I didn't know what was going on for six months. There was no check-in. There was no understanding of where things were at. And then I found out that the report had been concluded by getting a call from CBC's Power and Politics. And that's not how these things should be handled. That's how you found out. Wow. Uh, so when... Yeah, when that hair had been booked to appear, so they called me for comment. Jeez. So when did this report, when was it concluded? It concluded in the summertime, I believe, sort of around the end of July. 
And so you haven't been able to see it. No, I have not seen it. Uh, the other woman involved whose uh, report was deemed unfounded has not been able to see it. So she really has no understanding of why her report, uh, why what happened to her wasn't validated. She doesn't know what caused that or what happened at all. And both of us have, have made it clear that we're willing to waive our privacy concerns in order to get a chance to see the report. All right, because otherwise, I mean, whose privacy are we protecting other than the yeah, two of you, and, right? And according to the Prime Minister's office, it's around um, the witnesses involved. And, you know, there's ways of redacting that. There's ways of providing us with the report that wouldn't name any of those other people who were involved. Now, the report did find, though, that your your claims were legitimate, that your claims yes. were founded, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, which is obviously some vindication for you. But why, why is it important to be able to, to read the report and understand this in more detail? Because I think even from a broader perspective on this, when we talk about sexual harassment uh, allegations and reports, there needs to be transparency and there needs to be respect for the people who come forward in this process. So for myself, you know, I have a right to see the report that's about me. I have a right to be able to read what was said about me and about my experiences. And for the other woman involved, she has a right to understand what happened and why this has happened in the way that it did for her. And we need to offer those transparencies to people who go through this process, because otherwise, how can we trust the process in its entirety if we, aren't, we don't even know what it looks like? Right. Because, I mean, granted, this wasn't a police investigation per se, but it, it does seem really odd that a victim comes forward, the allegations are investigated, but the investigation is kept secret from the victim. It, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. No, it doesn't. And it's, again, it's about nothing about us without us. And we should be able to be part of this process every step of the way. And that includes being able to see the final result. So who makes that decision then? Is it the prime minister's office? Yeah, the prime minister's office. Yep. Uh, does Kent Hare have any say over this? Um, I know that he was asked by the Calgary Herald whether or not he uh, would be open to waiving his privacy concerns in order to see the report, because my understanding is uh, his office is saying they also haven't seen it, but he didn't respond to that particular question. I mean, do you have thoughts on wh- whether he has demonstrated any accountability here, whether there was appropriate punishment uh, resulting from this report? Whether sorry, he's, I lost you there for a second. Uh, sorry, wh- whether he's been accountable for this, whether he's demonstrated accountability, whether there has been some sufficient, I don't know if punishment's the right word, but in terms of what's come of all of this and how he responded to it, wh- what do you make of it? I mean, you know, I he, he apologized to me, and, and I accepted his apology, and I wrote an op-ed in McLean's around the accepting of that apology and the belief, and I do believe that people are capable of change, and people are capable of moving on and becoming better as a result of learning better behaviors. Like, when we know better, we do better, right? Um, obviously, personally, I wasn't particularly thrilled to see him run again. I wasn't particularly thrilled to see my prime minister standing with him a week after the report came out, um, encouraging him to continue running. I, that that was bothersome to me. But the broader issue, again, is around the way that the prime minister's office has handled um, this going forward. Do we need different rules overseeing all of this or, a, you know, an, a, an established process so, so these kinds of things don't happen in the future? Exactly. And there isn't an established process. And that's the problem. And even in Alberta, you look at all the three major parties, or I guess two and a half major parties, you know, the Alberta party, the UCP and the NDP all follow different procedures around harassment and around reporting. And that that just shouldn't be the case. They should all be held to the exact same standard and it should be a transparent process. And it's not. Because, I mean, this all occurred when, when Kent Hare was an MLA. I mean, should this have been handled 
by some kind of a, a, a provincial process. I mean, I didn't come forward at that time. It was obviously a very different. No, I, yeah, well, understandable, yeah. Comfortable, but yeah, like it was higher. It was handled by the PMO because he was at the time a federal cabinet minister when I came forward. But again, provincially, we need to have some transparency in this process. And currently, we have two MLAs who were found uh, responsible for sexual misconduct. We don't know who yeah. those two MLAs are. There's no transparency around that, and so potentially people are going to be voting for an MLA who was found guilty of this without ever knowing that. And that's not. That's not a transparent way of doing that, and that's not done in the spirit of Me Too or the spirit of empowering survivors to come forward about their experiences. No, it still seems about, you know, circling the wagons and protecting political interests, protecting the it's, party, protecting the brand, right? Yeah, it's protecting your, your own. And I think, again, that's a broader issue when you talk about sexual violence. It's very difficult for people to deal with and understand that someone you care about, someone you like, someone you respect is capable of committing an act of sexual violence, whether that's harassment or assault. And... That's where these conversations need to happen because we won't ever affect change if we can't accept that people within our own social circles are capable of these kind of things and having those conversations. Well, there seems to be an issue in politics uh, in particular, and, and there have been a number of women that have come forward uh, describing a situation that involved various political parties, various parts of the country. You know, from your own experience and what you've learned uh, since coming forward, I mean, is, is there a, a problem, a, a systemic problem in politics? It's absolutely a problem in politics. It's pervasive. And this, again, is not a partisan thing. It's across the board in terms of issues. And a lot of that comes from the fact that, and I think it's shifting and changing now, which is really good. But when I got involved in politics, when I first started working in political circles, I was probably one of only two to three women in the room. And when you look at legislative staffers, they are frequently women where they are reporting up to men. And the power structures that have surrounded politics has been a patriarchal structure so that makes it especially difficult to ever kind of have these conversations because there hasn't been an openness to that. That's obviously shifting and changing now. But I think, again, polit- politics, politicians don't want to have to deal with this because if it damages the party brand, that becomes more important than actually living up to what you're saying. So, for example, with our prime minister, he calls himself a feminist. But when Me Too is potentially damaging to his party, his party takes priority over his commitment to women's issues. Yeah. Uh, so what it seems like, unfortunately. Now, it was interesting to know this week, I mean, you had Conservative Deputy Leader uh, Lisa Raitz on Twitter uh, pointing out the fact that the uh, this Cantair this, uh, report remains uh, under wraps and that, that you've not been able to see it. Do you find that there have been champions, not just for you and your situation, but champions for this cause in politics? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the number one person that I mean, I fangirl over her consistently is Rona Ambrose. And the work that she has done and tried to do around passing Bill CC337, which is the bill around mandating sexual violence training for judges, which, by the way, has been stalled in the Senate for two years now, um, is incredible. And you, you, and you see champions like that across the board. I mean, the Notley government has done a lot in terms of increasing funding around for sexual assault centers and doing some of that, those big piecemeal items to try to address some of these issues. So there are champions across the board. But I think that it's, it's about really mobilizing people, everyday people, to make this issue matter to them. So we're walking into a provincial election. There'll be a federal election in the fall. Everybody who has someone come to their door should be asking them about this. They should be asking them what their policies are on sexual harassment and sexual violence. Because we won't get real movement on this unless everyday people make this a platform issue and make this matter to them. 
Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned Bill C-337 because you know we've had some, some court cases which illustrate where there's an obvious gap. This passed yep. unanimously in the House a couple of years ago. Yep. So what, why, why is it stalled in the Senate? What's your understanding of, of what's held this up? One of the major issues, as I understand it, has been around uh, the law society's concern about mandating certain forms of training who will provide the training, an idea that there's going to be some sort of bias if it's provided by experts in the field of sexual violence, which is completely ridiculous. Um, and also just, I think, a lack of will. Like, a lot of people, this is a very difficult and complex topic. And things have changed a lot in the last two years in terms of discussions on this. But primarily, people are uncomfortable talking about sexual violence. So it's easy for the Senate to ignore this because you don't have a push from the general public to make it something that happens. You know, it becomes an issue every couple of months when you see a judge say terrible things like keep your knees together, but then it goes away again. So it's that need for the public to really pressure their senators, pressure their MPs to make this happen. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Kristen, we'll, we'll see what happens with this report uh, and we'll, we'll stay in touch. But thanks so much for joining us here today. Really right. appreciate this. Thank you so much for having me. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.